Back to Let's Jaws for a minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, one minute at a time or thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buddery, and it is just us uh, talking about this week's scene, so no guest to introduce, and uh, we'll we'll get started straight away, talking about the latest Jaws minute. Um, it is just over the minute this time. We've had some pretty short scenes recently, but this one is uh, like a minute and three seconds, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so the timestamp of this scene is from one hour, three minutes and one second to one hour, four minutes and four seconds. So this is right after um, that great uh, shot, uh, sort of like gliding past uh, Michael when the, the shark attacks in the pond. So we see the shark fin slowly disappearing under the water again. Uh, action dad Brody leaps over the bridge, uh, runs across the bridge to, to get to Michael with Ellen closely behind him. Uh, Michael is dragged out of the water by his friends and uh, we see... Ellen and Brody reacting to what has happened. Um, he is alive, uh, but in shock. Uh, we see Sean looking real cute and crying uh, as well as he worries what's happened to his brother. Um, and then we get uh, finished where sort of like Brody, uh, he stands up and he looks out to sea uh, and it sort of zooms in on the on the sea and that's where we leave it. So um, yeah. Do you want to get started, MJ, with anything you picked up in this week's scene? Yeah, I think it's funny <clears throat> the way the pacing slows down in this scene, because the last two episodes, I feel like we've talked about how much happens in mm. less than a minute, and now we're talking about just over a minute, and not as much happens. That said, I think what happens is very important to the second half of the film, which we're rapidly approaching. We're We're minutes away from boarding the orca at this point i believe Mm -hmm. um and this is really the scene this scene is so important to brody and his character and there's a couple things that happen in it around him that one i've never noticed before and two are really what gets him into we're going to kill this thing and like mm-hmm. everyone else be damned um <laughs> this is this is what's going to happen <laughs> um i'm i'm <laughs> done i'm done messing around with this local politics bs i we mm. need to take action and we need to do it sooner rather than later yeah this is it sort of really feels like i can't remember if it was last week or the week before where we sort of said that the thing that pushes brody over the edge is or or pushes him sort of out to sea really is when it hits so close to home that he can't ignore it anymore um and that is obviously when uh it affects his son and his son was was not attacked by the shark but was sort of right there in the thick of it um and one of the things i noticed and not sure i'd noticed this before either was 
that I think this is the first time we actually see Brody go into the water. Um, he doesn't go very far, but he sort of um, goes out as far as uh, as as Michael is, uh, sort of up to his knees, I guess, and and helps the the friends um, sort of bring him in. Uh, and this, I think, is the closest we see Brody get to the water, uh, maybe. Well, I say ever, <laughs> until the second half of the film. In the first half of the film, this is the closest we've seen him get to the water. Yeah, that was one of the two things that I was thinking about um, mm, being mm-hmm. really important. And I'd never noticed that this is the first time he's actually broken contact with the shore to get in the water. And I think it's really important, actually, that he does that because it's obviously to save his son. And even though he's in shock and physically okay, um he it's a drowning risk at that point if he's you know Mm. in shock enough to kind of like uh depersonalize and and just kind of you know not not really be present in his own body like that can that can be a dangerous situation in the water for sure so Mm. to see uh to see brody hop out and he he does these like parkour moves to get there too like he just straight up takes a (laughs) shortcut and hops off the pier basically um to get over there and uh it really serves the action dad archetype that we've been talking about Mm. where he uh just like anytime something happens he he feels like he has to jump in but he also is hesitant to go in the water and here now that it's michael brody he's he's done like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know he's he's definitely uh uh taking matters into his own hands from this point forward. And then the shot with Sean crying at the sandcastle. It's a, it's a very, I feel like it's a very Spielberg moment because uh, Spielberg works a lot with kids. He does a lot of kid reaction shots and Mm. things like that. And um, that's a shot that uh, is like, heartbreaking obviously because you don't want sean to feel bad for his brother because sean's a very cute child but Mm. um it also (laughs) uh i think it's a testament to the the kind of one-two punch of michael's reaction to making eye contact with the shark and then sean's reaction to the brother uh being in danger i think it shows like how skilled spielberg was working with kids from the outset because Mm -hmm. neither one of those things feels overly precocious, but it also doesn't feel like overly adult. Um, And that's a very hard line to find in child, child performers. And so uh, I think it's really shows the the control that Spielberg has over his performers kind of no matter their age, which is really, uh, really impressive considering how early in his career this film was made mm-hmm. yeah i i like that we get that shot of of sean actually because we saw him previously and and we spoke about that bit where he is sort of innocently playing on the beach and you see the shark go past and we spoke about what a, a kind of chilling shot that is the sort of uh, the picture of childhood innocence playing away on the beach and there is the threat sort of a stone's throw away and Mm -hmm. even though the action in this moment is focusing on on michael and obviously brody and ellen looking after him it doesn't forget about sean it doesn't forget that sean is there as well and i i think that it's it's great that we see that and because 
we see all the sort of like different you know Brody is very um he's very focused in in mm. this and he's sort of like it's it's the the fight or flight kicking in for him i think and he is just immediately taking action i love that leap over the bridge i think it's so great uh because we then sort of see like ellen running after him and she obviously doesn't take the uh the super direct route she sort of like runs we assume to the sort of the end the end of the bridge and then onto the beach uh but Brody cannot get there quick enough um and then he i once uh michael is safely out of the water he's then kind of grabbing the the blankets and the towels and stuff to keep him warm and really not caring that that is somebody else's beach towel he is just like flipping things over <laughs> like grabbing yeah. things um and then obviously you know he has to sort of like keep that keep that face and keep that focus Ellen gives a, or you know, Lorraine Gary will credit the the, the actor. She gives a, an absolutely excellent and completely relatable reaction. She is in shock also, and she sort of says, you know, he's he's dead. <clears throat> like that's the that's the first thing she thinks because she just sees like the lifeless, still body of her of her son. So, and it's it's a, a measured reaction as well. It's not sort of like wailing and gnashing of teeth or anything mm -hmm. it's it's nothing sort of too over the top or really hammy it is exactly how you would imagine a mother would react in a situation like that and i i like as well that that we see sean's reaction he is just crying because that's what a little kid would do like something yeah. happens to their their sibling he can't really process his emotions in any other way so he is just like sobbing into the sand and it's very very real and very believable and i I don't think all directors or filmmakers would kind of give us that child reaction as well. And, and they really get good performances out of, of both of these. The, both of the Brody children, especially, I think they get really good performances out of them for the sort of brief moments that they are in the film. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, it, that, that point you made about Lorraine Gary, like it's like the opposite of kate capshaw and temple of doom right like i feel like that is the <laughs> the the direct opposite of uh yeah a, a female character in a spielberg movie and <laughs> i think spielberg and lucas have both kind of admitted the shortcomings of that character uh in in the the special features of th at least the dvd release of temple of doom they were both like yeah we uh we both were going through our own divorces at that time, and so we were maybe not the biggest fans of women. And it shows in the movie, and it's probably bad news. Like it's probably has aged like milk. Um, yeah. So uh, this, like, I really love Lorraine Gary in this. I also love that Roy Scheider does his own bridge hopping stunts in this. Yes. Um, and the movie goes out of the way to show it, show us that, and he hops over yeah. two handrails uh mm -hmm. to do this so uh eat your heart out simon Pegg. um <laughs> feels very reminiscent of him hopping over the fences in the cornetto trilogy so sure <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but yeah yeah that moment with uh brody and the um the beach towel is great too where he's just like i don't care yeet like i don't yes. need this stuff on here anymore <laughs> And there's a, I couldn't tell what it was, but there's something yellow on that, uh, on that towel too, that flies up mm. in the air. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I love the background dialogue that happens at the beginning of the scene where oh, it's so good. <laughs> the 
guy on the bridge is just like there's blood there's blood doesn't someone have a gun somebody go get a gun and shoot that thing and i was like never change america yeah a good point about the guns actually because i i also really really enjoyed that line i just i love the hysteria in the crowd now because Mm -hmm. we've sort of seen and i think it was in the bit that we talked about when when sam was on and we spoke about the sort of the depth of (laughs) of humanity that we see in that scene with people pushing each other out the way and clambering over some lifeless body in the in the sand to to get back to the beach and the people Mm -hmm. raising their binoculars to to sort of see what you know juicy action they can see happening but the reactions in the crowd this time is like genuine hysteria it seems like there's there's just a lot of like yelling and and screaming some that we can sort of like make out what they're saying um the i think it's it's maybe different people saying that because there's one that i think it's a woman that says like blood blood there's blood or something Mm. like that um and then it sounds like a guy saying somebody get a gun and and all the rest of it um but the the gun bit in particular really did amuse me because it's that is kind of peak america for that to be like the first thing that they that they go to and we've spoken (laughs) quite a bit about guns in the last like few episodes it feels um because we had that shot of um the the spotters out in the boat where there's Mm -hmm. like the guy and it really like zeroes in on that guy like with the gun and the american flag like fluttering in the background on the boat um when the the kids um with the cardboard fin get dragged out they're all sort of like before they realize they're kids they're like pointing their guns at them it got me thinking (laughs) like we've seen all those guns we know like the spotters out on the boat have guns so yes you can sort of like uh put this guy's reaction down to just hysteria and i think that is what it is but also got me sort of thinking like how much the people on the beach know about what is happening on the boats like we sort of presume that those boats are quite close to the shore or that everyone is sort of aware of the the extra presence there is on the beach because of the helicopter because of just the extra officers and the media and they must be able to see the boats out there but perhaps there is still that sense of some of the people on the beach just being oblivious even just genuinely not realizing how great the threat is because they have been sort of fed this lie Mm. um or just not wanting to admit how serious how serious it is until it really sort of does hit so close to home that they cannot ignore it any longer i just thought that was a an interesting thing to think about where obviously we have seen those spotters and the guns out on the boats but like do the people on the beach know the full extent i guess of the operation that is that is going on to keep them safe yeah i don't think so my guess would be Mm. no um Mm. and i think it's it points out the serious like flaw in this too of like no one was thinking about the pond right like they're they're Mm -hmm. presumably because one of my first thoughts was wait a minute why doesn't one of those spotting boats go out there and try to get after the shark and I feel like that's like kind of an issue. I think that's a valid initial gut reaction. But if you think about it for two seconds, they're probably really far away from the pond. By the time they get there, the shark has the entirety of the water to do like to, Mm. to, to hide and dodge and maneuver through, including, you know, they have the, 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 I guess thinking about it in three or four dimensions, like 
the 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 boats can just kind of move move essentially like if you're looking at it on a flat plane left and right right they're not going under the water and the uh the shark has that sort of uh z-axis that it can go through so it can it can go deeper in the water and just hide under the water so mm. even if they make it to the pond they can't really guarantee they're going to see the shark in the water and be able to do anything about it um mm. which obviously is why we have the barrels in the back half of the film but uh yeah it it, it, it I think it's a it's a it's it's a valid initial reaction to be like, hey, wait a minute, don't they have like people who can make their way over there? But probably not in the amount of time that the the shark is going to swim away. It's going to be not not worth it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I actually I just um went back a little bit or scrolled back in the film a little bit because that bit where you see the the like artist lady when she is sort of like pointing and and yelling like shark in the pond and you sort of see over the other side of the beach because you see Brody like running along the rocks it's like the flip side of the shot we see with sort of behind Brody as he's running along to get to the pond and it looks pretty far away and you can't see any boats so the boats I would imagine were nowhere near the pond it's the that was deemed the safe the safe place and and we spoke about this as well like that was where the old ladies went to went to swim that was the place that Brody deemed safe for his son to and his friends to take out the the boat it's where the the guy in the red boat was just going for a a quiet little row by himself without sort of you know being interrupted by all the the tourists and people splashing around in the sea so this this sense i think and and we see this i think in the way brody reacts to what has happened to michael the guilt he must be feeling and it's sort of unspoken um because he just goes into taking immediate action and he's not sort of like fretting and like oh goodness like what have i done this is my fault i told michael to go into the pond like i'm sure that must be crossing his mind but you don't see that at all in the in the way that he the way that he reacts to what's happening but yeah this this idea and i don't think it's ever really dawned on me until (laughs) going through the film in this level of detail (laughs) like how significant it is that 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 attack happens in the supposed safe place um we all the other attacks or all the other times that we've seen the shark have sort of been in, you know, in the the main body of water and in the ocean, which you can accept maybe that, you know, there are, there are threats there because it's such a big space, but this is like the estuary. It's like the, the bit sort of leading into shore and shore is supposed to be the safety and, and not be where the threat is. You know, why, why would Brody tell his son to go, go and, and play in the bit that is unsafe. So just the significance of having the, having the attack happen in that area i think is is incredible and something i've never really sort of unpacked before um mm. but yeah it i don't know it's weird that i've never really given that much <laughs> given that much thought before i've always thought like oh yeah you know like it, it it sort of catches you off guard doesn't it and the the strange scene we talked about with the with the fake out and the cardboard fin and all these sort of things you think you're seeing the shark in the background it's just a glare on the water and things just feeling a bit like not right and not quite normal and then the shark 
appearing in the place you least expect it to it's now like well nowhere is nowhere is safe there is no safe place anymore there is only one course of action that can be taken at that point so i think necessary to get the uh to get the story to the next point and sort of like persuade the the mayor i guess as well that you know quint is is the right course of action and and sort of pushes brody to well now i have to do something and and i really want to talk about brody's face like right at the end of this scene because it is so good (laughs) yeah it's it it is sort of the the him going into that that supposed safe space is the it's the shark's version of nobody suspects the spanish inquisition from monty python right like it's (laughs) that that we didn't (laughs) sorry we didn't think about that and yeah <laughs> here it is shark's just got a red hat with a feather in it yeah um, yeah nobody nobody expects the uh the sharky uh <laughs> oh believe me i was trying to do that and i couldn't yeah i couldn't wrap my brain around it so if you get there good on you yeah i got i got nothing yeah the whole time you were saying that i was like shark inquisition sharky inc- sharkish inquisition <laughs> Yeah, um, nope. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what I'm saying is the shark's wearing a cloak in this scene. Yes, absolutely. Played by John Cleese. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, wow. I would absolutely watch John Cleese playing the shark in Jaws. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10 would watch. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the only improvement I could suggest to Jaws is... The shark maybe should have been played by John John (laughs) Cleese. Still would not want to see a Jaws remake though, but if I had to, if I had to, that is the only version I will accept. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's all I can think about right now. Just this this, uh, Basil Faulty ass uh, shark. Anyway, um, which would be, oh God, is he, hang on, wait a minute. The best bits are the ones I have to Google. <laughs> Let me see here. Yeah, it'll be <clears throat> a shark called Bruce. <laughs> oh yeah, we got that. We got there in the end. Yep. I was like, uh. He's in he's in Fish Called Wanda, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Just desperately hoping you're right whilst Googling yeah. it in the background. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I was like, are they both in that? Or am I just as- ascribing uh, Kevin Klein to American John Cleese status? Like... <laughs> <laughs> nope, a shark called Bruce. That, that works. A shark, yeah, a shark called Bruce. <laughs> there it is. We found it eventually. Congratulations, everyone. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Um, yeah. Anyway, Brody's face at the end of this scene and the stare down he has with the sea is a moment that has passed me by in all my years of Jaws watching. I guess it's yeah. it's not a, a moment that I have actively ever paid attention to until I watched this scene for, for the podcast, basically. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And I think that's fine because it's not, um, you know, I don't think it's 
a life-changing scene, especially in a film that's so dazzling, you know? Like, I think... I think that, that there's a lot more uh, stuff in it that's more technically impressive that's going to stick in your brain a lot better. Mm. But I think this that shot is maybe the movie distilled down to its most base level as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It is just... Like th- this is this is a man versus nature story now, and I think it, sh- it it also serves as an important catalyst for the second half of the film, where it turns into this you know high seas adventure and just the way Brody like stares down the ocean, and I think it would be easy to do that and have that sound kind of jokey when we're when we're saying that or like make it sound kind of silly because he's just mm. looking at the the sea, but he it, it really makes it feel like 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 a like a duel like a showdown for a duel at the end of mm-hmm. like a, like a Sergio Leone movie or something like it really feels like this is this is personal now between Brody mm-hmm. and and you know the shark but ultimately the, the the sea because the shark has gotten away and so um it's really effective and really like all, all right like it shit's about to go down with uh between Mm -hmm. these people everything's coming to a head yeah yeah are there obviously like most people sort of see the midpoint of the film as when they go out on the orca because that's when Mm -hmm. we sort of leave amity behind and uh then the whole rest of the film is just the 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 three men on the boat and is and is man versus sea or man versus the shark man versus nature whatever you want to call it but if you're if you're looking at the the sort of the exact midpoint of the film in terms of time we're kind of we're kind of at it now really um it was probably maybe just a maybe like a minute or so minute or so ish uh before this if we're going to get really technical about it because you know there'll be someone who tweets us and tells us the exact midpoint um of the film if we try and claim this is it but in terms of significance of that sort of like shot of Brody staring down the sea and it zooms in as well which i don't know if i've noticed before i've certainly like you have not sort of given significance to that moment before it's like well yeah from 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 this point it is it is only that we so we have the bit in the in the hospital before Brody leaves and then the bit in in Quint's shack where sort of like the three meet and then they head out on the orca um but there is there is sort of nothing else apart from like the mission to get the shark after this point really and I was just pondering about this the other day because you know just thinking about jaws is what i do most days um in how ballsy it is of this film to have the whole second half of the film just be these three guys on a boat and a film now that was sort of like in a in a similar genre or in any way kind of similar to jaws you feel like there would be sort of like cutaways back to Amity, like that bit on the mm-hmm. boat when Ellen sort of radios in. I feel like a film now would, you know, have a have a shot, or, you know, uh, of sort of showing Ellen back in the house, looking after the kids, or sort of like staring 
out at the ocean thinking about Brody or or making that call or you would see some something to do with like the aftermath on on Amity or what is sort of happening back on the island just as a sort of like a break away from the being on the boat but this film does not do that and I think that is just amazing and I don't know (laughs) I've ever really just sort of sat and thought about that idea before and I imagine that's something we will talk a lot about in the in the sort of the the next half um of these podcast episodes and and the next half of the film but yeah just that significance of of that shot and, and Brody looking at the sea and in classic Sarah form I have uh pieced together some things uh leading up to this point that I thought were interesting as well sort of under the heading of uh, Brody looking out to sea shots. <laughs> um, the first, the very, very first shot we see of Brody, he is looking out to sea. This is after after Chrissy's attack, where it sort of fades from the sea at night into the sea during the day. Um, and then it's sort of revealed to be like, that is what Brody is looking at through the window. Um, and the shot is sort of like right behind his head. So we sort of, that's how we are introduced to Brody. He is looking out to sea. The next sort of like significant Brody looking out to sea moment is quite soon after that. It's after they found Chrissy's body. Um, and after sort of assessing the scene and, and, and taking it in, Brody looks at the sea and it's sort of a full a full view of Brody we sort of see like from his waist up um so we see his face reacting obviously to what he has seen on the beach with um with Chrissy's body but then also like immediately kind of like looking out to see and being like oh something out there has done this mm-hmm. um so without getting all Moana about this it very much feels like the <laughs> sea is kind of calling uh calling out to him uh <laughs> in a in a weird way and like even though he has this like not good relationship with water it is like something that he cannot ignore and then this kind of like third shot that we're talking about now where it sort of like zooms in on the sea it feels like we are in like brody brody's perspective um mm-hmm. we're talking a lot about the shark's perspective but we see brody sort of like staring out to sea you know revenge revenge in his heart and 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 looking you know like he is about to you know to just yeah go out go out and kill this shark himself if he has to and and then it sort of like flips to sort of showing just the sea and and that's when it zooms in so we've seen we've seen the sea and brody um those shots kind of develop and change since that sort of like first one of being like behind his head to now being like from his point of view i don't know if that sounds like absolutely insane but i just thought it was interesting that at various kind of significant points in the film we have sort of these different ways of showing brody looking at the ocean so there is this link or something about it that is uh that is calling him i am now imagining some kind of like moana and jaws mashup so you're welcome yeah i can't stop thinking about brody singing how far i'll go so i'm so sorry that's the headspace i'm in to the point where as a matter of fact i will uh if you already said this i apologize i was thinking about brody singing how far i'll go um i think one of the other important ones is the alex kittner scene he's hyper focused on the scene yeah um you know he's 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 he might as well be in the water as much as he's focusing on it like (laughs) he is so scared in that scene and just so on edge and nervous and like will not break eye contact with it and i think it's really Mm. important that now 
we, you know, it has been a source of anxiety for him that he might have to deal with this. But now that this has happened, it's broken completely. I think the, um, the way it's shot too, right? Like it's shot from the ground, making Brody look really big in the frame. This is sort of his hero moment. And the look on his face is like, all right, motherfucker, like you and me now. (laughs) And it, it feels like, um, I think it's the the closest, and I, I we haven't talked about this really, mainly because I haven't read the book, but um, and, and I'm not overly familiar with the film adaptations. I feel like it's the closest the movie ever gets to like a Moby Dick type story, um, mm. as far as this like, uh, you know, one man's obsession with uh, taking down this this well white whale, white shark, great white shark, uh, in in that story. And I think it's almost to the movie's credit that it doesn't full on go into this Moby Dick archetype. Um, Mm. because it allows it to be kind of its own thing a little bit more. Like you don't really hear a lot of comparisons of Jaws to Moby Dick ever. And I think that's maybe for the better because it allows Jaws to kind of be the cultural touchstone that it is rather than being like, Oh yeah, it's this plus Moby Dick. Mm -hmm. Um, but this part really feels like Melvillian a little bit, you know, where it's it's like, all right, this is this is the most base level visceral like pr- this is the most primal this movie gets, which is about humanity versus nature. This is about man versus sea, man versus this creature, you know, wh- wh- however you want to think about it. But it really hammers home that this is ultimately what this story is about and all the politicking that has happened to get us to this point has been the thing that's gotten us a, uh, gotten in the way of that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had not really thought about the sort of like the the camera positioning of, of that shot of Brody as well, like before we sort of see the the bit that's, you know, from his perspective, actually like the, the shot of the sea and it zooms in. But it is kind of like that, that hero stance isn't it it's uh mm-hmm. and we've had this previously where the sort of the camera has been positioned low to the characters I'm, I'm thinking of the bit when they are talking to larry by by the billboard so you can sort of see like the scale of the the billboard and the, mm-hmm. and the shark that is painted on it in the in the background behind them um and we've seen it i think a couple of other times where it's sort of been trying to like force perspective of of characters appearing taller or larger than than others um but this like i mean obviously you can see michael's like little pals in in the background a little bit but the focus is entirely on brody in this scene he re- in in this shot sorry and he really looks like the action hero like yeah. ready ready to go he's ready to go like toe to toe with the ocean right now which is a weird thing to think about but yeah yeah if this movie comes out in 2021 it's gonna the the camera's gonna spin 360 degrees around him while he's staring at the ocean yes absolutely yeah (laughs) quinn and uh, and hooper like join him and they sort of like just go around in a circle and yeah. yeah there's an orange filter now for no reason yeah yeah explosions you know something is exploding in the background we don't know what um but it's yeah i'd love this shot so much i'm just like staring at it on my screen now it's so great there is so much that that you can read in his face because obviously he is having to deal with the the thing that has just happened to his son like i mentioned earlier the guilt at sending michael into that place that he thought was that he thought was safe 
uh, all of the sort of like altercations with Larry that he has had leading leading up to this point, um, the times that he has been sort of like out, you know, when he went out in the boat with Hooper and cutting open the shark and being slapped around the face by by Mrs. Kintner, like you can sort of see <laughs> the whole weight of the film that has happened so far, like written all over his face and like. I mean, Roy yeah. Scheider, come on. Like, what an incredible actor. Just, yeah. we've not sort of like, well, I mean, we praise him, I feel, on like every episode we get the chance to, but it's been a little while since we've like really had the chance to go in like we are now. Um, to be able to sort of like read all of that like in his face, but also it be this sort of, you know, this this man on a mission look as well. Like you, you just get that sense, like he is about to like do something serious like right now yeah. there is no there is nothing else he can do he has like gone into the ocean <laughs> okay only up to his knees but he has been like into the ocean now and, and 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 got his son out and there is only one thing that can that can happen from this point and i think maybe it's if it's not the next scene it's the one after that i really love that like aggressive way he rips open that curtain in the hospital when he's like about to confront larry mm. um it's one of my it's one of my favorite bits because he looks so determined in that moment at just like he's not gonna stand for for larry's bs anymore he is like this is happening he hands him the hands him the pen and is like you are gonna hire quint to to do this um and we never we never lose Brody's sort of mission in the in the latter half of the film, but I feel like a lot of focus is on on Quint and Hooper because they kind of have that uh, pretty tumultuous relationship and a lot of bickering and and banter and joking and and all the rest of it. Um, some people sort of say that like Brody kind of like doesn't fade into the background because he is always there and is always a presence in the in the latter half of this film. Um but I feel and have always felt that like this is this is his is his mission. He is the one that we start this film off with. Like yes, he has help from from Hooper and Quinn and you can argue about whether he would have been in any way successful if it wasn't for those two i don't think he would have just caught the shark by himself because he does not have the experience but it is only him in this shot you know getting ready to sort yeah. of go and, and and take on the shark so you get that sense of like <laughs> this time it's personal that's what i'm getting from from this scene and and the interesting is to sort of like follow the film from this point with that in mind sort of really just thinking about Brody's motivations which I think are the the most interesting and most complex out of the out of the three of them because he does not want to be out there but yet he is and I find that so interesting yeah this scene is definitely his I came here to chew bubble gum and blow up sharks and I'm all out of bubble gum <laughs> type of moment like <laughs> um, yeah it is <laughs> and I you know I I don't think he fades into the background at all. Like the the most meaningful interactions mm. with the shark happen with Brody. He's the first one who sees it when he's chumming. He's the one yeah. who ultimately blows it up. Like mm -hmm. this is like if 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 Quint is successful killing the shark, it's not as satisfying for his like cool and badass and like you know kind of co cocksure and like uh, kind of annoying but kind of charming as Quint is and like so memorable and big and broad. If Quint is the one who kills the shark with the machete 
it's not as satisfying. We've only gotten an hour with him. We've been yeah. on this journey with Brody for two full hours at this moment. Like, it has mm-hmm. to be Brody's story at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, the other two are, I think, you know, we call them the three leads, but the main character is Martin Brody. Like, he's mm-hmm. he's the, he's the guy that if you delete from the movie, the movie does not work. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think, like, I don't think it works as well without Quint or Hooper, but the story itself still works, right? We get to the same end yeah. point. It's not as interesting or layered or textured, but with no Brody, there's, you know, there's no movie. There's no story in the back half. There's no really driving factor. Like, he's he's the one who makes, Quint, like, makes, like you said, makes Larry hire Quint in the first place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's this shot that is like selling it to me that this is like Brody's film and Brody's mission. <laughs> I will yeah. not I will not hear anything otherwise. Uh not to say the others aren't important, of course, and the as we've said the film would not work if it was just Brody on the boat. It would not work if it was just Quint or just Hooper. Like those those three need each other because they are so so different and they are all bringing something different to to the table in terms of like what their what their motivation is and why they are out there doing the thing that they are doing but absolutely like Brody's motivations are are probably the most the most complex and the most interesting and the film would not do all of this sort of setup with Brody and not just Brody but like the whole as in like not just Martin Brody but like the whole Brody family the film would not do all of that setup for like the whole like first hour and a bit of the film for him to then like not be out on the boat or for him to not be a significant part of the film and he is the sort of at least in the beginning the 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 guy who is like trying to keep the peace between Hooper and Quint because they are so different and so polar opposite and I very much enjoy seeing Brody sort of like gradually get worn down by the two of them over time that bit like when he cracks and calls quint certifiable is like one of my favorite bits in the film um because he's been the sort of like the 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 nice guy and the the guy who's pretty sort of like calm and level-headed this whole time and then we sort of see just the stress of the mission get to him get to him over time and i think more than more than any of the others um we see the effects of it on him but yeah I mean, we've taken a lot <laughs> out of this this scene. Um, I don't know if you have anything anything else you wanted to mention or or go into. Um, the only thing I wanted to mention is, yeah, that the, the uh, you made a point about the lack of restraint, not the lack of restraint, but yeah, the lack of restraint in today's movies that that mm. we would be cutting back and forth to you know the shore and what's going on there in in any other film. And did you watch Greenland? No, is that the Gerard Butler one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've not I've not seen it. So it's alright, but the thing I liked the most about the movie is that it is strictly grounded with this family and this family only. There is mm-hmm. never they get separated over the course of the movie at certain points. Um, but it is never not focused on one of the three characters who's cause it's the two of them and then I think their daughter. Um 
and it's never not focused on one of them. So at no point in this movie, which is this big disaster movie, right? Um, mm. At no point in this movie do we cut to like a boardroom with a bunch of government officials talking about what they're going to do about this meteor that's crashing to Earth. Like all the information we know about the disaster is coming from what they know about the disaster. And I really, really loved that structure because it's so uncommon. Because <laughs> what I realized is I was like, wow, any other movie would not be like this. You know, if this was fucking Roland Emmerich in here, like it would be all over the place. It would be incomprehensible. It would be full of special effects scenes. There's maybe one two minute sequence in the entire film that you could even compare to a Roland Emmerich film. And... I really appreciated the 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 risk it took with that. Mm. And now that you brought it up, it's because it a little bit felt like Jaws. Like we're, mm -hmm. you know, kind of stuck with these people and these people only and everything we know is just what they know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I I like it. I really enjoy um a film that doesn't have like a huge cast and doesn't have sort of tons of of locations and stuff like the mm -hmm. simpler a film can be and yet still be so so effective i i just find really interesting and, and really fascinating about how films can sort of get that key information across and we can we can learn about what is happening and what needs to happen um without sort of having tons of like unnecessary exposition just dumped on us or yeah. scenes where it sort of like cuts away and you feel it doesn't doesn't need to um i think like survival type films they they do that quite well um where it is you know you're just sort of focused on the person who is trying to survive um but occasionally mm -hmm. then you get sort of like cutbacks to the family at home like wondering where they are or the rescue mission trying to find them or something or something like that but yeah i i when it works it really really works for me that that kind of film and i have never sort of really like sat down and, and thought about how bold of jaws it is to to have that approach really until until recently um because i i think actually i was looking ahead at our episode plan and um <laughs> there's obviously like a lot of episodes where it's just like and the barrels pop up and then this interaction happens <laughs> and you know, we are going to be on that orca for a real long time. We are going to feel like <laughs> Brody Hooper and Quint by the end of uh, by the end of it, but still so much amazing stuff to get into. But it's like, wow, yeah, it really does not give us any kind of release at all, or any sort of like let's have a have a break in the tension or a break in the chase and, and go back and see how Ellen is getting on on the island and you know, is Michael out of hospital and, and is, you know, Larry just larrying about still trying to, you know, spin this somehow to yeah. to the people of Amity? Are the, is the Taft's hotel open? Are the people <laughs> back on the beaches? Like, it's not, it doesn't, that stuff isn't important and would muddy the film, the, the strength of the second half of the film, I think, if it sort yeah. of kept cutting away from them because it just then gets too complicated where it doesn't need to be. And I think one of the things I've always loved so much about Jaws is its simplicity. I mean, here's us talking about, you know, all these layers and these things that we're picking out of it. But, like, it is simple when you sort of, like, really, really yeah. boil it down to, like, what happens in the film um it just so happens that there, there is then all this extra like 
<laughs> detail that fortunately gives us enough content to fill, you know, 80 something episodes with. But yeah, I I I love that it it doesn't go there. <laughs> it doesn't sort of take us back to the island. Yeah, I think that might be now that I think about it. I think that might be why and I know it's a much maligned subgenre, but I really love found footage horror movies. It's maybe mm. my favorite subgenre of horror, and I think it's because you're just kind of stuck there. Like you yes. just and and I feel like that adds to the tension so much more. Like that was the thing about Greenland is because I didn't know what was going on. I was so stressed out that whole movie because <laughs> all I was in was in these super stressful situations with these three family members and had no idea what else was going on. And I really wanted to know what was going on, but that was the brilliant move of the movie to keep us in the dark on that and just like have us feeling these tension with these characters. And I think that's what happens. And we talked last week about Blair Witch Project. Like you're just in the woods with these people just as confused as they are. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's a really, some might see it as a shortcut, but I think it's really effective and it works. Like, why would you screw with the formula if it doesn't work? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And it's, I mean, it's not, particularly horror is not like a, a genre that I, <laughs> that I have seen much of, but I, I know right. what you mean. Like the, that sense of, of finding everything out through sort of like a handful of characters and particularly in found footage you you really get that and i i was just thinking of um it's not like found footage but um 10 cloverfield lane where obviously yeah. like you spend like the bulk of that film just like in that room with these people trying to figure out like what the hell is happening on on the outside it doesn't cut to like show you what's happening on on the outside or give you sort of like any context and in fact as soon as they leave that room that film starts to like plummet downhill for me um but <laughs> up to that point i think is is really really effective because you are just you are finding things out in real time almost like as the characters are finding them out or as the film is sort of you know choosing to reveal things to you i just think when it's done well it can be it can be super super effective and i obviously the one that does it the most effectively is it's the one we're talking about is is jaws and i i think that had the whole film been been like that it maybe wouldn't be as good we need these these scenes this full hour before they sort of get out mm -hmm. onto the boat we need this to really really care about these characters like Obviously, we've seen this film before many, many times. Um, but I care so much about Brody, like especially us doing it the way we're doing it. And I, I'm trying to be good and not like watching Jaws too many times, <laughs> too many yeah. times in full. Um, so just sort of like watching a minute at a time. And and this this week's bit just really, really got to me in terms of seeing like how personal this journey is about to be for Brody. So I am more invested than i ever have been particularly in brody's story and the effectiveness of these scenes that we've sort of talked about so far i think is you know just is is needed and is necessary to then lead us into the the second half of the film which is that that bit more um stripped back and simple in terms of like location and characters anyway there's still a lot of of stuff happening and exciting things happening but yeah, we, we don't get the sort of like the beach and the town hall and the Brody house and the pier and the pond and the hospital and like all the sort of locations we get, you know, it is just like three men on a boat <laughs> is what yeah. we get from 
pretty much from this point on or at least you know in a couple of scenes time anyway and yeah what a what a film <laughs> yeah that said the fourth of july is coming up and you bet your ass i'm watching it on the fourth of july uh yeah i mean that is that is of course the exception <laughs> If you didn't watch it on the 4th of July, or if I didn't watch it on the 4th of July, I mean, are we even Jaws fans? Do we yeah, even right? have a minute-by-minute minute breakdown podcast if we don't watch it on the 4th of July? <laughs> right. I feel like if we didn't, we'd have to just stop the podcast. Yeah. We have to hand back our Jaws cards. Like, I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Do you have any- anything else? Sorry, we have a... No, I think, I think we mind this scene, uh, um, once again, much more than I expected when we first started it. So. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, always the way, I think, with the scenes that sort of feel like they have the least amount in them, we're then here, like, almost an hour later still talking about it. Um, but yeah, a lot uh, to, to get away from uh, in this scene, and still more to come as well, so much more to come. Um, very excited to finally get out onto the orca. That's going to be that's going to be a good moment, I think. Um, so yeah, did you have anything that you wanted to plug, MJ? Yeah, uh, real perspective, R E E L perspective. That's my other podcast that I co-host with um, my friends Missy and Michael, and we have an episode on In the Heights. I don't know if we have an episode on F nine colon the Fast Saga uh, out just yet. We very much want to um and i yeah just because i'm moving very soon to colorado actually by the time you hear this i'm in colorado this uh we're pre-recording but i i think i have yeah i've been in colorado for about a week um (laughs) by the time you hear this so it should be out i would like to get it out before i leave to colorado so we'll see Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, related point, uh, we are taking a little break uh, because MJ is moving across the country and I am yep. also moving uh, very conveniently. We're moving around the same time. We did not plan that, but it's very uh, convenient how it has worked out, um, shall we say. So yeah, this will be the last episode you hear for a couple of weeks. We're hoping to get the next episode uh, recorded once we're sort of settled in our new places um, and that one should be out on July 23rd so um, if there is going to be any other sort of like breaks uh, in in episodes being out we will try and tweet about it but yeah appreciate uh, patience in waiting for the next the next installment as we deal with some pretty big uh, things happening in our in our various lives so yeah yeah uh, we are having a little recording break as well as naturally we have many boxes to pack and things to organize for uh for these moves um so yeah i uh also uh, have a- another podcast if you would like to listen to that um i am going through the disney animated classics for jumpcast uh we had a little moana reference in this episode and hopefully by the time this uh you're listening to this episode that moana episode should be up and probably some other ones as well we are nearing the end of that uh, epic journey so um go and listen to those episodes pick your favorite disney film and listen to that episode or just any other ones you fancy as well there's 50 old episodes to catch up on 
Um, so plenty to listen to. Just search for Jumpcast um, or follow me on Twitter. I've probably tweeted about it at some point. Um, speaking of, you can follow uh, me on Twitter. I'm at Sarah Buttery and you can follow MJ at MJSmith891. You can follow the, the show at Jaws for a Minute. Um, DMs are open if you want to contact us on there. Um, but if you wanted to email us, you can do that by emailing JawsForAMinute at gmail.com. A um, couple of ways you can support the show. So you can um, rate and review on your podcatcher of choice. Um, we would really appreciate that. You can also buy our merch through TeePublic and Redbubble. The link for those is in our Twitter bio. And thanks, as always, to Alex, um, who is at HexShadow on Twitter for his wonderful designs. Um, so give him a follow and show him your support as well. Um, also, a huge thank you to Kristen for our um, theme song. You can follow her at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram. And you can purchase the theme song on Bandcamp as well. Um, if you wanted to just give us a donation and say thanks for being great, um, you can do that through our coffee page. Um, if you donate through that, you'll be entered into a draw to win something. Um, so definitely worth it. It's like £3 or $3 and you could win a £20 slash $20 t-shirt. So uh, a pretty good deal, I think. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate that as well. And we will, of course, give you a mention on an upcoming episode if you donate through our coffee page. Um, all of our links and stuff is in our um, Twitter bio. So head there to find all of that in one easy and handy uh, location. Um, so we will be back uh, in a few weeks time. But um, as always, uh, until then, it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere. <laughs>